Hi, and welcome to another episode of A Shot Glass of Recovery with your host, Julie, half of the dynamic duo that brings you the podcast, Two Sober Chicks. Well, good morning. It's Canada Day here in Canada, July 1st, 2020, in the midst of coronavirus isolation. My voice is a little deeper today because this is the first time I'm using my voice today. I'm actually taking a Sabbath, which to me is usually a day of no work and all restful things and step 11 connection to God stuff. But I had to podcast for two reasons. One is I think we should all agree that I don't know anything about anything. And then that way you can excuse the fact that I didn't know that the Irish also wear kilts. (laughs) I have dug myself a big ol' hole with that whole series of comments. What I hope comes through is that y'all know that I love you so much. I love human beings. I love humanity. I especially love cultures other than my own. I love accents, but I am particularly fond of an Irish accent. So I did some research yesterday on Ireland and and on Scotland, and there was just so much beautiful information on differences and similarities and I will not do that on here because clearly as mentioned before I don't know anything about anything except what I know. (laughs) So we're gonna get back into the traditions. Today is tradition seven. I didn't do a jingle yesterday for tradition six. What can we do for tradition seven? What rhymes with seven? Oh, tradition seven's your ticket to heaven. Steep yourself in tradition seven. Seven heaven, seven heaven, seven heaven, seven heaven. Okay, that's my tradition seven jingle. So tradition seven, as found in the big book, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, sister to the big book, the 12 steps and 12 traditions. I'm going to read the long form first. Seven, the AA groups themselves ought to be fully supported by the voluntary contributions of their own members. We think that each group should soon achieve this ideal, that any public solicitation of funds using the name of Alcoholics Anonymous is highly dangerous, whether by groups, clubs, hospitals, or other outside agencies, that acceptance of large gifts from any source or of contributions carrying any obligation whatever is unwise. This is why you will often hear a chairperson saying, if you are not a member of AA, Um, please don't contribute to our seventh, which is, we are going to get into, short version, we are fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Then too, we view with much concern those AA treasuries which continue beyond prudent reserves to accumulate funds for no stated AA purpose. Experience has often warned us that nothing can so surely destroy our spiritual heritage as futile disputes over property, money, and authority. Isn't that the truth? Spirituality can be wrecked by all of that. That's, in my opinion, why money should never come into friendships unless it is a gift and unless you truly have no expectations for what it's going to go for. Um, Spirituality can be wrecked by all manners of ego. Money, power, authority. Okay, tradition seven. 
Page 160, short version which we hear in meetings, every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Self-supporting alcoholics? Who ever heard of such a thing? Yet we find that's what we have to be. This principle is telling evidence of the profound change that AA has wrought in all of us. Everybody knows that active alcoholics scream that they have no troubles money can't cure. Always we've had our hands out. Time out of mind, we've been dependent upon somebody, usually money-wise. When a society composed entirely of alcoholics says it's going to pay its bills, that's really news. Probably no AA tradition had the labor pains this one did. In early times, we were all broke. When you add to this the habitual supposition that people ought to give money to alcoholics trying to stay sober, it can be understood why we thought we deserved a pile of folding money. What great things AA would be able to do with it. But oddly enough, people who had money thought otherwise. They figured that it was high time we now, sober, paid our own way. So our fellowship stayed poor because it had to. There was another reason for our collective poverty. It was soon apparent that while alcoholics would spend lavishly on 12th-step cases, they had a terrific aversion to dropping money into a meeting-place hat for group purposes. We were astounded to find that we were as tight as the bark on a tree. Oh, I love that. So AA, the movement, started and stayed broke, while its individual members waxed prosperous. Alcoholics are certainly all-or-nothing people. Preach! Our reactions to money prove this. As AA emerged from its infancy into adolescence, we swung from the idea that we needed vast sums of money to the notion that AA shouldn't have any. On every lip were the words, you can't mix AA and money. We shall have to separate the spiritual from the material. Amen. We took this violent new tack because here and there members had tried to make money out of their AA connections, and we feared we'd be exploited. Now and then, grateful benefactors had endowed clubhouses, and as a result, there was sometimes outside interference in our affairs. We had been presented with a hospital, and almost immediately, the donor's son became its principal's patient and would-be manager. One AA group was given $5,000 to do with what it would. The hassle over that chunk of money played havoc for years. Frightened by these complications, some groups refused to have a cent in their treasuries. Despite these misgivings, we had to recognize the fact that AA had to function. Meeting places cost something. To save whole areas from turmoil, small offices had to be set up, telephones installed, and a few full-time secretaries hired. Over many protests, these things were accomplished. We saw that if they weren't, the man coming in the door couldn't get a break. These simple services would require small sums of money which we could and would pay ourselves. At last, the pendulum stopped swinging and pointed straight at Tradition 7 as it reads today. In this connection, Bill likes to tell the following pointed story. He explains that when Jack Alexander's Saturday evening post broke in 1941, oh my gosh, you should Google that and read it if you have a chance. It's one of the first outside pieces of literature I read about AA, and it's really cool. So just Google Jack Alexander's Saturday evening post 1941. Thousands of frantic letters from distraught alcoholics and their families hit the Foundation's letterbox in New York. 
Our office staff, Bill says, consisted of two people, one devoted secretary and myself. How could this landslide of appeals be met? We'd have to ask some more full-time help, that was sure. So we asked the AA groups for voluntary contributions. Would they send us a dollar a member per year? Otherwise, this heartbreaking mail would have to go unanswered. To my surprise, the response of the groups was slow. I got mighty sore about it. Looking at this avalanche of mail one morning at the office, I paced up and down ranting how irresponsible and tightwad my fellow members were. Just then, an old acquaintance stuck a tussled and aching head in the door. He was our prize slip E. I could see he had an awful hangover. Remembering some of my own, my heart filled with pity. I motioned him to my inside cubicle and produced a $5 bill. As my total income was $30 a week at the time, this was a fairly large donation. Lois really needed the money for groceries, but that didn't stop me. The intense relief on my friend's face warmed my heart. I felt especially virtuous as I thought of all the ex-drunks who wouldn't even send the foundation a dollar apiece. And here I was gladly making a $5 investment to fix a hangover. The meeting that night was at New York's old 24th Street Clubhouse. During the intermission, the treasurer gave a timid talk on how broke the club was. That was in the period when you couldn't mix money in AA. But finally, he said it. The landlord would put us out if we didn't pay up. He concluded his remarks by saying, Now, boys, please go heavier on the hat tonight, will you? I heard all this quite plainly as I was piously trying to convert a newcomer who sat next to me. The hat came in my direction, and I reached into my pocket. Still working on my prospect, I fumbled and came up with a 50-cent piece. Oh, back in the day with the 50-cent pieces. Somehow, it looked like a very big coin. Hastily, I dropped it back and fished out a dime, which clinked thinly as I dropped it in the hat. Hats never got folding money in those days. Then I woke up. I, who had boasted my generosity that morning was treating my own club worse than the distant alcoholics who had forgotten to send the foundation their dollars. I realized that my $5 gift to the Slippy was an ego-feeding proposition, bad for him and bad for me. There was a place in AA where spirituality and money would mix, and that was in the hat. There's another story about money. One night in 1948, the trustees of the foundation were having their quarterly meeting. The agenda discussion included a very important question. A certain lady had died. When her will was read, it was discovered she had left Alcoholics Anonymous, Anonymous in trust with the Alcoholic Foundation a sum of $10,000. The question was, should AA take the gift? What a debate we had on that one. The foundation was really hard up just then. The groups weren't sending in enough support for the office. We had been tossing in all the book income, and even that hadn't been enough. The reserve was melting like snow in springtime. We needed that $10,000. Maybe, some said, the groups will never fully support the office. We can't let it shut down. It's far too vital. Yes, let's take the money. Let's take all such donations in the future. We're going to need them. Then came the opposition. They pointed out that the foundation board already knew of a total of half a million dollars set aside for AA in the wills of people still alive. Heaven only knew how much there was we hadn't heard about. If outside donations weren't declined, absolutely cut off, then the foundation would one day become rich. Moreover, I love when the moreover word is thrown in. No one uses it anymore. 
I had an English class three or four years ago when I was studying sign language, and she was talking about... I have a very good command of the English language, but sometimes I don't understand grammatically what things are. But she was talking about whatever the category words like, moreover, um, additionally, henceforth. What's another one I really love that she poo-pooed? So she poo-pooed moreover. And I was like, I love moreover. I'll think about it. In addition, it's the same thing, moreover. At the slightest intimation to the general public from our trustees that we needed money, we could become immensely rich. Compared to this prospect, the $10,000 under consideration wasn't much, but like the first alcoholics, like the alcoholics first drink, it would, if taken, inevitably set up a disastrous chain reaction. Where would that land us? Whoever pays the piper is apt to call the tune. And if the AA Foundation obtained money from outside sources, its trustees might be tempted to run things without reference to the wishes of AA as a whole. Relieved of responsibility, every alcoholic would shrug and say, Oh, the Foundation is wealthy. Why should I bother? The pressure of that fat treasury would surely tempt the board to invent all kinds of schemes to do good with such funds and so divert AA from its primary purpose. The moment that happened, our fellowship's confidence would be shaken, the board would be isolated and would fall under heavy attack of criticism from both AA and the public. These were the possibilities pro and con. When our trustees wrote a bright page of AA history, They declared for the principle that the AA must always stay poor. Bare running expenses plus a prudent reserve would henceforth, oh my gosh, there it is, henceforth, be the foundation's financial policy. Difficult as it was, they officially declined that $10,000 and adopted a formal airtight resolution that all such future gifts would be similarly declined. At that moment, we believe the principle of corporate poverty, that is powerful, was firmly and finally embedded in AA tradition. When these facts were printed, there was a profound reaction. To people familiar with endless drives for charitable funds, AA presented a strange and refreshing spectacle. Approving editorials here and abroad generated a wave of confidence in the integrity of Alcoholics Anonymous. They pointed out that the irresponsible had become responsible, and that by making financial independence part of its tradition, Alcoholics Anonymous had revived an ideal that its era had almost forgotten. Oh, I love that. So yes, if you're wondering where the contributions, when we collect our seventh, which is exactly what this is, when you put money in the hat or the bowl or the basket or whatever it is, where does the money go? Well... Most of us rent church church basements, so the money goes there. And then who pays for the coffee? Money goes there. And at our group, we have cookies. Who pays for that? The money goes there. And then you contribute a small amount to the head office, and it pays for all of the runnings of the office. It pays for stuff like the World Conference. It, It pays for all kinds of things. But the money contributed to AA stays in AA, and we do decline outside contributions. So that's how the financial world of AA does its thing. And all of the people in service at the meetings do not get paid. No one runs the group. I mean, this is the genius of the traditions, right? We're seeing how and why our groups have exploded all over the world. Because while the steps keep us recovered and sober, the traditions keep us united and running smoothly. 
So that was Tradition 7. I don't remember the jingle. Tradition 7 gets you into heaven. Tradition 7 heaven, 7 heaven. Whatever it is. I do it on the fly, so don't ask me to remember what they sound like. Well, happy Canada Day to my fellow Canadians. If you're not a Canadian, wish a Canadian a happy Canada Day, and they will love you for it. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, and don't worry, it won't be too long until the next one pops up. Hopefully, Tradition 8, unless something else comes up. So, I wish you well. Happy 24. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.